Hey, good morning, everybody. It is, uh, it's good to be with you guys today. You guys got some carpet. I don't think it was carpeted the last time I was here. This feels like home. This is so cool. It's, uh, it is quite lovely. Um, uh, very cool. Um, I just want to say thank you to, uh, to the worship team this morning. Uh, what a blessing. Just to sit and to, uh, to sing together corporately uh, with you guys this morning. Um, just even the songs that were selected, the lyrics, and just uh, the, the spiritual truths, the theology that was found in those lyrics this morning. Um, what a blessing. Uh, thank you for the tech team back there making it all happen. Um, sorry you have to just deal with this voice. Hey, if you could give me a little bit more uh, like bass resonance or something, I'd, pr- I'd appreciate it. Um, but, you know, it is, a, it, it is a joy. Our family is blessed to be able to, to come. So thank you to the leadership of uh, Cedar Home uh, for inviting our family to be with you guys this morning again. And uh, it, is, it is just a treat uh, to worship alongside you. Thank you for even just the hospitality team back there that's taking care of all the, the yummy muffins. Uh, our kids look forward to it. Like, are we going to the church that has the muffins in the morning? And so, you know, you, you whoever it is, uh, you feel free to raise your hand. Uh, that is, goes above and beyond, provides the, the biscuits, the muffins, the, the treats. Thank you. You guys are making a difference. Um, your, your service matters uh, deeply. And, and I'm not just saying that in jest. It does. It does matter. It makes a difference. The carpet, the treats, the coffee, the water, your smiling faces, your hospitality, your hellos, your good mornings. Um, it makes a difference, you know, to people that walk in these doors. You guys are serving, and it's fantastic, and I just want to say that it's a joy to, to visit you guys um, and to be with you um, and worship alongside you guys. And so thank you for the opportunity to be here together. You're making a difference uh, in this community, and uh, whatever role that you're playing, even if it's just a smile, uh, it makes an impact on other people. So thank you. This morning, uh, we're going we're gonna to start an entire series on the book of Acts. I hope you're excited. Um, we are, uh, I have uh, two slots uh, t- t- today, and then like, uh, not next week, but the week after. So we're going to do an entire series on the book of Acts. Um, this morning, uh, the, the entire series, is, it's a two-week series. Um, I don't know if we'll get through all of it, uh, but, but it's called Restored Community. Uh, is the entire series. Uh, one day, maybe I'll preach through the entire book of Acts, and that would be fantastic. But uh, this week, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. Feel free to open up your own personal copy of the Holy Scriptures. I hope you guys brought yours with you this morning. I think the text will be up on the screen because you have an awesome administrative team here as well. Um, and uh, so that's helpful for you, but uh, I'd love to, to see you, uh, you know, bring your Bibles. And, and it's always fun to hear the pages turning as you try to find Acts chapter 1 this morning. And, and um, anyway, so in the next week, we'll look at Acts chapter, or in two weeks, we'll look at Acts chapter 2. And, and that's it, you know. So uh, maybe you'll invite me back and we'll do Acts 3 sometime. But, uh, but I really believe, like, if you were to do an entire study of the book of Acts, like, one of the things that we see is that God is doing a new thing. There is restoration happening. And this morning, we're looking at Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11, just the idea that God is restoring the mission that he gives his, his, uh, his creation, his people, uh, his children. He gives us, he gives his apostles, therefore he's giving us, as we read through the book of Acts, like, we see, like, there is a new mission that has been given to us as the church. 
And so he's restoring all kinds of things, but one of the things that he restores right away is that this group of people has a new mission. And God is doing something new. He's doing something special. He's doing something, it's a new movement of God that is different than anything that has ever happened preceding this. And, and we're going to look at that right now, and, and, uh, and, and we're going to see that God gives us this new mission. A, f- a few weeks ago, my son started reading a little bit of Tom Clancy. I don't know if there's any Tom Clancy fans, but uh, The Hunt for Red October. Anybody any familiar? So he finished the book, and so we're like, hey, let's celebrate by watching the movie. You know, so you have Sean Connery, a British guy playing a Russian. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't know. And then, the, you know, so he's got this British accent the whole time. It just throws you off a little bit. Um, but all that aside, yeah, I don't know if you've seen it or you know the story. You don't really need to see it or, or even to know the story, but, but it, you know, it takes place underwater. There's a, there's a submarine involved and, and there's this Russian captain and he has an agenda. He's got a mission that he's trying to accomplish and the rest of his uh, country men's naval forces uh, want to stop him from accomplishing that mission. Uh, other officers on that sub with him know and understand his mission, uh, but the rest of the crew doesn't know his mission. And there's a little bit of confusion there. And then the, the United States, uh, you know, we're supposed to be rooting for the United States Navy in this, in, in this uh, movie, because it was in the 1990s. And um, they, they did not know what his mission was. They didn't understand, like, is he, is he gonna just try to attack the United States? Is he, uh, is, he, is he just gone rogue? Is he gone mad? They didn't understand what his mission was. And then there was other, you know, there were several different ideas of like, what is this guy trying to accomplish? And so there's confusion, of course, with good confusion comes a great movie, right? There's suspense and you add a great powerful soundtrack and next thing you know, you've got, ooh, what's gonna happen? And, and you know, even though it's the 1990s and it's a little slower paced than, uh, than movies that we're used to these days, which is probably a good thing, um, there's this like suspense builds and it's really all built around like, what is his mission? Like, what is he actually trying to accomplish? And, uh, you know, no spoilers here, but, you know, Jack Ryan saves the day. So (laughs) turn with me to Acts chapter 1, and let's read together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that one day you indeed will come in the same way as you saw, as they saw you go into heaven. And Lord, we anticipate that day with, uh, with great, uh, great joy. And yet here we are 2,000 some years later and we are in this end of the age space and we are waiting and we, are, uh, we recognize that we, along with the apostles, have a mission. And Lord, would you speak to us through your word this morning? In your name we pray, amen. All right, so the author of uh, the, the book of Acts is Luke. And of course, this is his second volume. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And it starts with this, uh, in this, you know, this, this kind of directing his uh, letter, this, this what he's writing, he write, writes it to Theophilus. And, uh, you know, for, for most of my Christian life, I thought Theophilus um, was like just some sort of high administrative or government official um, that Luke is writing to uh, somebody with maybe some influence, um, you know, based on how he addresses him in the book of Luke and then how he addresses him in the book of Acts. And so it kind of gives you the impression, I think a lot of commentaries would agree, that it gives you the impression that Theophilus was probably some sort of administrative or government leader. And, uh, you know, as I was preparing this, this um, message, you know, I came across a commentary by um, David Guzik, and, and he had said that, you know, that's probably likely true, but also it's, it's good to notice also that the name Theophilus means God lover, right? Theo, God, Philos is, is love, right? So you have this idea that Theophilus uh, could be potentially, um, I'm not saying it is or it isn't, I don't know, I wasn't there, I was not in Luke's brain, um, but it could be that he's writing to all God lovers. And so uh, just the idea that he's addressing this to Theophilus um, is just something that we just need to just take note of. Um, Either way, he is kicking off this historical account of what happens after Jesus had revealed himself to his followers for 40 uh, days after his resurrection. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that the book of Acts is not just a, 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 a book of stories. It's not just a book of myths. It's not just a book of tales. It's not just a book that we see, uh, that we would find in the fiction uh, category. Now, what we can say is that the book of Acts is entertaining, that, that there is um, like tension and there is story gripping kind of amazing things that could be turned into a much better film than The Hunt for Red October. Like, there, like it would be an amazing fiction account, but you know what? It is not fiction. It is historical fact. These are facts. These are true things. Jesus did indeed die on the cross, that Jesus was indeed buried, that he was indeed resurrected, that he did indeed sit for, you know, and, and, and talk with and chat with and walk with people and, and, and showed and demonstrated that he was the resurrected Jesus. This same Jesus that was buried is this same Jesus that is walking with you today. And he, and he walked with people for 40 days and he, and he was able to show himself and he revealed himself to people and he said, look at my hands, look at my feet. Like, this is the same Jesus. I am the same Jesus. And so this is fact. I mean, in fact, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he writes that at some point after the resurrection, Jesus appears to at one time more than 500 people. And so all of these 500 people have this witnessed account of the resurrected Jesus. And he says that at the time of his writing, which was probably 25 years later, uh, then, then this uh, portion of scripture that we're reading now, 
like 25 years after this Acts 1 through 11 took place, about 25 years later, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he's telling the story about how Jesus had revealed himself to over 500 people at this moment. And out of those 500 people, many of them are still alive. And no one is refuting what Paul is saying. And so, so many people actually saw Jesus live. They actually saw Jesus die. They actually saw that Jesus was resurrected. They actually saw and sat and maybe even had a a breakfast seaside with Jesus with fish and loaves over a campfire. And they sat with him, or maybe they walked down the road, and these people actually saw and met and talked with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And so what we know from Scripture is that this is actually true, that it's not a fiction account, that this actually happened. And I think that's really important for us to recognize that this is not fiction, that this is what really happened. And what was Jesus speaking of when he spent those 40 days post-resurrection? And what was Jesus really spending the previous three years during his earthly ministry talking about? More and more, over and over, we see that Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. He was speaking of the kingdom of God. This was the heart of his teaching during his ministry before the cross, and we see that during the 40 days where he revealed himself in physical form to many, he was again teaching about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was present then, the kingdom of God is present now, and the kingdom of God will be present in its fullest form one day. And this is something that we really anxiously can't wait for, right? We are joyously awaiting that. But sometimes it's a little confusing, right? (laughs) Is the kingdom of God really here? Because it doesn't seem like it. Look at all the stuff that's happening all over the globe. Look at all the stuff that's happening in our communities. Look at the stuff that, like, could the kingdom of God really be here? One day, Jesus, will you come and make all of this right? And I think the apostles felt the same way. In fact, this is what we find that the apostles were doing. Immediately, uh, you know, they're asking Jesus a question about the kingdom of God. And we're going to see that they're a little bit confused about that a little bit later in the text. Um, but, uh, but, here we, but here we have, what, it, what, it was, what does Jesus specifically ask of them here in verse 4? And while they're staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. To wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I think just a side note, these two verses, Acts chapter 1, verses uh, 4 and 5, are a great example of the Trinity that we find in Scripture, right? Here we have Jesus talking, talking about the gift that's going to come from the Father, and what is the gift? The promised gift is the Holy Spirit. And so we have the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit together in these two verses, Um, you know, just a great example of the Trinitarian nature of our God found in Scripture, but the disciples were specifically asked to wait in Jerusalem for the, for the promise of the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys love to wait? Raise your hand. Feel free. All right. No, nobody likes to wait. We don't like to wait for anything. Nobody likes to wait for anything. Um, you, you, the first thing that the disciples were instructed to do after Jesus ascends is to Wait. Now, I have, I have some kids at home that have a hard time waiting for their birthday. Uh, you know, it, it is hard to wait for a birthday. It's hard to wait for a work promotion. It is hard to wait for a baby to be born. Um, I think we were uh, calculating the other day, um, uh, yesterday, how many, how many uh, 
years my wife just dated. Um, and uh, it was a surprise. It was a surprise. Um, I mean, we have seven kids, so you do the math, and you're like, oh, wow, that's a lot of gestating. But, you know, I think even for, you know, women, I think you would agree, right? It's hard to wait for a baby to be born. You know, you're five months in, you still have four more months of waiting, right? So it, things, that we, we wait for things, and it's difficult. As a culture, we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait for food. We have, we have fast food, right? And, and, you know, the, I think I read a book, I don't know, 20-something years ago called The McDonald's, McDonaldization of America. Just the idea of just, just we as a culture don't like to wait for anything. But McDonald's is being put to shame. I mean, Amazon is taking, like, this idea of us not wanting to wait to a whole new level. Literally the other day, we ordered something in the morning. It came the same day. One click, you know, you don't even have to do two clicks on Amazon now. There's just like a one click because two clicks is too much waiting, you know? And then like six hours later, it showed up at our house and we live in the middle of nowhere in Monroe. I don't, like, you know, there's not a, a, you know, an Amazon plant next to our house or anything, but there it showed up. One day, you're going to like one click or even just think a click and, and, and maybe even like the drone, the Amazon drone is going to show up and drop off the whatever it is that you need in that moment before you even knew that you needed it, right? <laughs> Waiting is a problem in our culture. Nobody likes to wait. We used to have to open up encyclopedias to find out about something. Now we just pull out our phones and we ask. We don't even have to type anything. We just ask. <laughs> okay, Google, who won the World Series in 1929? You know, like, we just, we find facts just like that and we get them within, like, seconds. I remember when, uh, when my kids were little, we used to have this thing called buffering. It was like child abuse. Like, uh, it was so terrible. You had to have buffering. And if you don't know what buffering is, oh, what a blessing. You know, so... <laughs> whatever music you want, whenever you want it, right now. Whatever movie you want, whenever you want it, right now. Whatever physical act you want to do with someone, whenever you want to do it, right now. Like, we are living in a culture that does not like to wait. We are living in a place where we do not like to wait. Waiting is difficult. And this is exactly what the apostles were asked to do. They were asked to wait on the Lord. And this is something that I think we as independent Americans, especially Western thinking people, don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. But this is not how we operate with God. When we operate with God, we operate on his timetable, and he asks us to wait, right? We are called to wait, just like these apostles are called to wait. He works on his timing, his way, and we, I think, as a church, can grow in learning to wait upon the Lord. Uh, flip with me to Psalm chapter 33. We're not going to look at the whole thing, but... Uh, Verses 20 to 22, Psalm 33. It says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. You know, learning to wait on the Lord is not easy. And usually we're waiting for significant things, aren't we? 
Maybe we're waiting for a loved one to change their heart. Maybe we're waiting for those that we care about to restore broken relationships. Maybe we're waiting for God to move in a miraculous fashion to heal a disease, to restore fertility, to mend our own brokenness, to do what feels impossible. And so we wait on the Lord. And of course, throughout scripture and other stories that we hear, there are examples of story after story where God has done just that. He's done the impossible. And yet, even in the midst of knowing that, in our brain, waiting is still hard. And I love how Psalm 33 puts the emphasis on our soul waits for the Lord. Our soul waits for the Lord. And what is, I think, the hack to, uh, to learning to wait is found, I think, in verse 21. It says, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. I think if you trust in God's holy name, if you trust in who God is, then it kind of makes the waiting a little bit easier. Like if there is a sense of trust or a dependence upon God, it's going to make the waiting a little bit easier. Because if you're just waiting and yet you don't trust that God is actually going to come through, if you don't trust that he can actually do the miraculous, if you don't trust and believe that he can do the impossible, or you don't trust and believe as we uh, kind of uh, were encouraged to remember this morning that he loves us, if we don't really trust and believe that, then it's going to be really hard to wait. But if we have a sense that in our soul and our heart really trusts and believes that God is not only who he says he is, but that he loves us deeply, that's going to make the waiting a little bit easier. It's not going to be always easy, but I think that's the hack is, are we willing to put our trust in him? And I think we find ourselves just like the apostles this morning, you know, in, in the idea that uh, there was nothing that the apostles could manufacture on their own. This is where the disciples were. They were in a space of trusting and having to trust and to be dependent upon God. The, the promised Holy Spirit was nothing that they could manufacture. Like, as we will see in Acts chapter 2, what happened was nothing that the apostles could manufacture on their own. Like, they needed to wait... They needed to be dependent upon God. This was only something that they could receive from God. To wait upon the Lord is a declaration of dependence, of hope in the God of all creation. To wait upon the Lord is a, de is a declaration of dependence, of hope in the God of all creation. And therefore, to resist waiting is to resist the Lord. And I think it's understandable in our culture that we don't like to wait. It makes sense because we like to be independent. I don't think our culture wants to be uh, dependent upon the king of kings. I think our, old, our culture wants to be dependent upon ourselves. So let's uh, check out uh, verses 6 through 8. 
So this is uh, where we find that the disciples are, uh, are asking Jesus kind of the same question that they kept asking Jesus throughout his three years of ministry. So like, is now the time that you're going to like rally the troops and restore the kingdom of God? Like, is it going to happen now? Is this when like your army of armies is going to show up and take out Rome? Like, is, is this when Israel is going to come and be like restore the kingdom of Israel? Is now the time? Like, okay, you died on the cross. That was amazing. You were buried. You resurrected yourself. You, you beat death. Like, now must be the time, right? And, and, and Jesus is so calm, and he just says, you are not to know when that time will be. But this is what all of the followers of Jesus, we all want to know, is now the time. And the reality is that the kingdom was launched. The kingdom of God was launched at that time. When Jesus defeated death, the kingdom is now launched. And then we, ascend, then we see that Jesus ascends into heaven. He's going to sit at the right hand of the Father, and he's going to be there with all authority in heaven and on earth in his, um, in his possession. And we know that the kingdom of God has been launched, but it hasn't come in its fullness. And the apostles are kind of like, but now is, is now the time that it's going to come in its fullness. And so Jesus just simply says that they are not to know when all of these things will come to be. Uh, but of course, we, we've got the, the full scriptures, right? We, did, we have what the apostles at the time did not have. You can flip over to Revelation 21 and we can see the rest of the story. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That is good news. And one day that is going to happen. And, and yet, in the midst of it, the kingdom of God is already here. The kingdom of God is already here in Stanwood. The kingdom of God is already here in your home. And yet it hasn't come in its fullness. But one day it will. And one day the, the community around us will be restored in its entirety. And that will be a glorious day. Until then, we have this mission that God has called us to. Until then, we have things to do. Like God, uh, you know, it's not just a period of waiting as we're going to find out, but there is a restored mission that we as a people of God need to hear this morning. He restores the mission of the apostles. He restores our mission as believers and he lays out for them that the Holy Spirit is coming and that they're going to receive power and what they're to be. They are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Their, witness, their, their mission is to be witnesses of the risen Christ to the whole world. Verse 8, of course, is, uh, you know, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is, is just a pivotal verse in all of scripture. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All of the book of Acts hinges on this, uh, this thematic verse of Acts 1, 8. In fact, uh, I would say like much of the New Testament, like in, in the entire movement of God is hinging on what he is calling his apostles to do. And therefore we as believers, what we are called to do as followers of Christ. 
that there is the gift of the Holy Spirit coming and that the the Holy Spirit is going to come not just as this touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy, lovely thing, but come with power. And there is a call to be a witness. And so what is a witness? The witness in the Greek is uh, martus or martyr. Right? They are called to be a witness, and the same word for martyr is used in this, is in this idea of being a witness. You can look at it uh, several different ways. You can look at it from the, the legal sense, that, they're, that, that the apostles, and therefore us as believers, were called to be a witness um, in a legal sense, that we're called to testify. Like, you would be in a court of law, and you would, you know, right there by Judge Judy, and like, hey, we need to bring somebody in. Tell us about this risen Christ. You were there. What did you see? You've experienced Jesus in your life. Tell me about it. Just as a legal sense, like, you know, put your hand on the Bible and, you know, to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but, you know, like, you're then now to testify. Now, you're to testify of the risen Christ and in the impact of Jesus in your own life. You were called to be a witness. Or just from a historical sense, meaning that you, you have been a spectator, that you have seen something, right? These apostles had seen something. They had seen the risen Christ. They had talked with him. They had seen his scars. They had seen Jesus for 40 days after the resurrection. They had something that they were a spectator about, and they could tell the story. Like a news reporter telling other people what exactly happened. Or in a holistic sense, and these were, uh, most of the apostles experienced this, that those who, after his example, have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death, just like him. They were truly to be martyred. And there are Christians all over the world that are being martyred to this day. They are, uh, they are a witness to the risen Christ in their own life and in the lives of believers around them. And they are imprisoned, persecuted, and in some cases, martyred. We as followers of Christ are called to be a witness. Are you ready to be a witness for the risen Christ? And the apostles knew, just like we know, that God was empowering him, that, that this was going to be a difficult task, that they were going to be called to be a witness to the very place where Jesus was crucified. You know, Jerusalem, like this is the area where Jesus was uh, persecuted, that he was, that he was cap- like imprisoned, tried, found guilty, crucified. Like the very place where this took place, they were being called to be a witness. Can you imagine some of the trepidation that they might have? We might end up just like Jesus. Yeah, many of them did. This was going to be difficult. It wasn't going to be something that it was easy for them to take on. But there was the power of the Holy Spirit that was going to be allowing them to pursue that and to fulfill their mission. This was going to be about sharing the good news of Jesus as well as being the good news of Jesus all powered by the Holy Spirit. Sharing the good news of the kingdom is super important. Living the good news of the kingdom is also super important. And knowing that we cannot do either without the power of the Holy Spirit is something that we need to recognize. Praise God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because it is only with the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be witnesses, that we can be the one who can share with our words and our actions, living out the, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. All right, so then we get to verses 9 through 11. 
And we have this amazing moment with Jesus. And so we, we get to the ascension and we know that Jesus doesn't just float up into the sky on a cloud, but essentially he joins the Father and he takes his place on the throne as the king, the one who has all authority on heaven and on earth. And of course his disciples are in awe, right? And they're, they're watching Jesus go up and like this is supernatural, which is, you know, they should have gotten used to this, but yet Jesus goes up and he just supernaturally disappears into what they would refer to as the heavens. And so, um, you know, they see this happen, and of course, uh, you know, they're, they're a little bit distracted, they're in awe, and a, and a couple of angels shows up, and, and they say, you know, get your head out of the clouds and get to work. Jesus will be coming back again, and until then, it's your time to be witnesses, right? Our, our mission as believers has been restored by Jesus, the Messiah. Our mission is not to live the Western or American dream of growing up, getting an education, finding that cute girl, finding that cute boy, marrying them, uh, you know, getting that job you always wanted, having your 1.8 children, getting your white picket fence, your dog. Like this is the American dream, right? We grew up, my parents kind of gave me the impression that like the right thing to do is like go to school, get a job, you know, be successful, find a mate um, and, and, you know, live life to your, your greatest and then make, make enough money to buy a house and some property and then, you know, have a little bit of money left over afterwards. So maybe, maybe you can do some retirement things and you stop working. And then, and then you have like, you know, maybe 15, 20 years of just doing whatever it is that finally you get to do whatever it is that you want to do. And, and then, you know, and then you die. And that's the American dream, right? This is the, the Western American dream that says, this is success. And I think we grew up with that story being told to us. And I think what Jesus is saying is that's not what it's all about. That's not the mission. The mission is to wait upon the Lord and to be witnesses to the risen Christ. That is the mission. Our mission has been restored from our selfish nature to thrive after the things that will like suit our own fancy. And we're called to be witnesses to our community and those around us of the King of Kings. I don't know if you guys notice the news occasionally, but there's, there's things that are uh, concerning in the news, right? There are, there are lots and lots of things that we could get concerned about. There are a lot of concerns. I mean, we could start listing things that we were concerned about. I could, I could just have you raise, like somebody shout something that, there, is there a concern in the world today? Somebody say something. What? Guns? Okay, yeah, guns. Guns are a concern. What else? War, there's a, the, there's a concern of war. Something else. Drugs, yes. What else? A plague, yeah. Famine, absolutely. There are concerns, right? I mean, would we say like gender ideology is a concern? Would we say that, uh, you know, election integrity might be a concern of some? How about global war, terrorism, a failing economy, inflation? I mean, the price of milk, gas, I think I paid $4.99.99. Like, you know, like, they, why, they are afraid to just say five bucks. I mean, it's like $4.99.99. Political agendas, bad stuff on social media. Like all of those are a concern, but are they the mission? I feel like sometimes I get wrapped up in wanting to make sure that I, I am I, I addressing these things and do those things matter? Yes, like human trafficking, is that a problem? Is that a concern? 
Yes, absolutely. That is a major concern. But is it the mission? The greatest concern we have is that people are going to hell because they don't know Jesus. And all of those things matter. Yes, they all matter. But the solution is Jesus. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but, it, but let's not like, make it too complex either. Right? If the kingdom of God is coming, if we are called to be witnesses to, um, you know, here, near, and far, if we're called to do that, like, like, in the midst of telling people about Jesus, we can bring clean water. In the midst of telling about Jesus, we can work hard to get people out of human trafficking. In the midst of telling and being witnesses of the risen Christ, the reason we care deeply uh, to make sure that we don't enter into global war is because we care deeply about people. And we want them to know Jesus. And that is our mission. The reason we care about gender ideology is that Jesus loves them. And we want them to know the truth that they are loved by God. Someone who created them in his own image, male and female, he created them. And he loves them deeply. And we want them to know the truth. And we want them to know that they are loved. And sometimes I feel like we get, uh, we get more concerned about a political agenda than we do about the mission that God has given us. And I think we as a church, we need to understand that our, our mission is very clear. Our mission is to be and to speak as witnesses of the risen Christ, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all the other stuff kind of falls from there. That our mission is the most important thing, that we are to preach and to live the good news. And so we do things like we care deeply for the poor and we do things and we, we want to bring justice and we want, we want to bring reconciliation and we want to bring uh, justice in places where there is injustice. Like our hearts are aligned with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because we want people to know about the risen Christ. Because the King lives in a way of the King. And where there are injustices, we see that because we know this is not how the King operates. And so we are witnesses for Jesus to proclaim who he is, what he has done, and living in his way, the way of the king. And it seems really overwhelming, and we couldn't do any of it, but it, we are, as the church, powered by the Holy Spirit. And I think we need to live in that way. We need to recognize and rely upon the Holy Spirit. And so church, I would just ask that you, um, you're in such a wonderful place right now. I'm going to pray uh, just a blessing over your church right now. And I'm going to, uh, you know, as you continue to search and to pray for the pastor that's going to come and to lead your church, what a beautiful point you are poised to make a huge, huge, huge impact in this community. I love seeing your faces this morning and knowing that each one of you are witnesses to the risen Christ. You have personal stories about how God has moved in your life. You have personal stories about what God has done in your family. You have personal stories about the miraculous things that God has done that seemed impossible, and yet you can share those stories. And I would just encourage you, today when you go to lunch, tell each other those stories today. Would you share with your family or a friend just the things that God has done that you've seen him do would you be a witness to, to God today? A witness of God today. Lord, we are grateful for this community here in Stanwood. We're grateful for Cedar Home. We, we just would ask that your blessing would be upon their search for a pastor. Lord, you know exactly uh, who it is that you have in store for this church. 
I thank you for um, preparing in advance the things that you're going to do. And I know their heart here is to, uh, to, to be long, to be led in a, in a beautiful, God-honoring manner. Um, in that, uh, just thank you so much for the leadership here of this church that has been leading with vision and direction in the midst of, of the absence of a, of a pastor. And Lord, I just would pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring this to fruition and that uh, this would be um, a short time. But as we wait, as we wait upon the Lord as a community, Lord, would our soul wait because we put our trust in who you are. You are good. You are truth. You are beauty. You are trustworthy. You have a plan. Help us not to get sidetracked by the, the concerns of the world. Help us to live on mission for you as witnesses. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll end our, uh, our time together just out of the, the book of Jude with the doxology. If you guys would all stand. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to pre present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, you guys.